Welcome to the Prairie Tycoon. I'm your host, Jake Probacek. On this podcast, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to connect with some of the best entrepreneurs that call the prairies home. We tackle the habits, skills, lessons, and mindsets used by our entrepreneurs so that you, our listeners, can learn from the best and apply the findings to your daily lives and businesses. Let's dive in. All right, today we're joined by my friend Scott Sangster, a Calgary-based industry-leading banking and finance lawyer, team lead, and partner at Faskin, a national law firm. Aside from being an incredible human being, Scott's a highly regarded advisor to many entrepreneurs and a great family man. Scott is also the reason that after 36 years of existence, I finally tried muscles. <laughs> Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jacob. It's a real honor to be here and uh, look forward to sharing some time with you. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. So let's let's kind of dive into it. Start at the beginning. What uh, what was your upbringing like? Where'd you grow up and what was it like? I grew up in the sprawling metropolis of Provost, Alberta. 1,503 of my closest friends, including dogs and cats. And uh, family decided that when I was about 12 or 13 that Provost had its limitations for lots of reasons. So we moved back to uh, Edmonton where my dad was from and then spent most of our junior high, senior high years in Sherwood Park, where my mother still lives. Okay. And so when how, when did you move to um, Sherwood Park? How long were you in Provost for? Uh, until I was 12, 13. Uh, I was 12, 13. And again, yeah, okay. I, I think there were limitations on what limitations. kind of trouble a young man would get into in Provost. So off I went. You know what small towns are like, Jacob, having traveled to <laughs> most of Alberta in your career. Absolutely. So what did your parents do for work? Was it was it an easy transition? I applaud my dad, and it's kind of in arrears. I never really had a chance to tell him this. When my mom and he got married, he moved to Provost to work for his father-in-law. And my grandfather was a serial entrepreneur, and Provost owned three or four businesses, and my dad went to work for him. And you can only imagine what it would be like being newly married and having to work for your father-in-law. And I never got the chance to explain or dig in with him on that because he passed when he was young. But on reflection, that must have been a very difficult thing to do. Absolutely. So how did how was the transition? You guys moved to Sherwood Park. Did you do you remember growing up? Like what what was that like? Did you did you notice you obviously noticed a difference, but did you like it? Uh yeah, I mean small town was an interesting growing up curve. Um, Sherwood Park was like the big city. Uh, and I think my parents made the conscious decision that Sherwood Park, and you're an Edmonton guy, and as am I really. Um, suburban Edmonton has got a lot of options. Sherwood Park, St. Albert, Fort Saskatchewan, Spruce Grove. All of those places I think are great satellite communities for families. And my my parents I think were smart enough to recognize that and it was the best thing for me myself and my sister. Absolutely. So did your childhood contribute to you getting into law or how did how did that come about? Oh, I was misguided. <clears throat> I'm uh, the first member of our family in North America to go to university. And we had no lawyers in the family. And I think I must have watched way too much TV because I thought lawyers worked from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., carried around a briefcase and, and life was good. Little did I realize that the nine to three was nine a.m. to three a.m. when you're busy on a transactional practice. So, right on. So, I guess getting into law. I mean, you you're, you've you started practicing in, if I'm not mistaken, 1987. Yep. Yep. Probably probably before you were born, Jacob. Probably before you were born, Jacob. You know what? I, I was two living in the Czech Republic at the time, so okay. close. Okay. <laughs> But uh, so you're coming up on 40 years. I mean, that's that's incredible. What so as a as a lawyer in banking and finance? Pardon me. What do you what exactly do you do? Um, I like to think that we facilitate the completion of transactions for parties that are interested in getting a deal done. So on the bank side, and this is where you and I met and enjoyed our relationship. Um, we're there to make sure that the bank is protected adequately, but also gets the dough into the hands of the people that need it. We're not there to get in the way. We're there to facilitate and implement. 
Right. So what <clears throat> is there a sector of your practice that you that you tend to focus on or that the majority of your business is derived from? Um no, I think I mean ninety five percent of what we do is secure transactions for financial institutions, including ATB. And uh it it's a broad spectrum. We've transitioned. We there was a period of time where we were more than gas layers, and as you know, that's not so much the case anymore. Uh, but we've got a broad spectrum of practice that deals with diversified equipment finance, logistics, um, still do some energy-based loans. We've been doing some crypto recently, which is kind of fun. Keeps your brain sharp because I'm not sure I really understand it, but uh, it's been a lot of fun to try and learn it. Yeah, that's let's let's dive into that just really quickly. I know that's a bit uh, off off of off kilter from what kind of you and I do daily, but what's what's that been like? What what kind of transactions are you facilitating? It's interesting. It's been predominantly equipment finance based transactions where we're financing the miners of crypto, and as you know, crypto takes a great deal of energy to generate, and so these are the servers and the server farms associated with the mining. Very interesting. That's not, I mean, that's not something we see daily. And I know ATB has got some exposure there, but uh, that's, that's quite the, let's call it the niche market. But everything you hear about crypto, like you hear, you hear crypto's going to zero, you hear crypto's going to the moon. What's, what's your take on it all? I'm agnostic. I look at countries like, I think it's, is it El Salvador or Nicaragua, where it's made it a fiat currency. That's an interesting mm-hmm. experience. I think it's Nicaragua, yeah. Yeah, I think it is Nicaragua. And you look at what the U.S. is going to do. I mean, the SEC is talking about regulating it. Biden wants to regulate it. If I was to guess crystal ball, I think in five to seven years, it will be another option as a five currency. Mm-hmm. And you hear, I mean, you hear, what, I think at one point, I don't know if Tesla is still doing this, but they were accepting, I believe, Bitcoin as payment for a vehicle. Yep. So, well, I guess we'll see, but um, I kind of wanted to dive in more so about your career. I mean, you've operated for 40 years, which is incredible, in the same industry, in the same province. I mean, we're a resource-rich province with a roller coaster economy. Every three to eight years, it goes up and down, up and down. What, what, do you have any key insights or observations that you've noticed? Um, Resiliency. I think Albertans like some of our American counterparts, maybe in Texas or Oklahoma, are resilient. Uh, I think Albertans are also very nimble and able to pivot. And I think that's going to serve as well as we move into the 2030s. Because as you said, the energy business has been cyclical. It's not going to go away in the short term. But we do need a plan for the future and and begin our transition. And I think the The energy sector in Alberta has has shown a lot of impetus in the technological side of what we can do on energy. Absolutely. So, what do you what do you think? Do you think that that uh, our I guess innovative nature, our creative nature as entrepreneurs in Alberta? Do you think that's do you think that's entirely derived because of the roller coaster economy, or do, do you think that stems from something else? Um. I think one of the things that Alberta offers, and it's Calgary and Edmonton, is most people are from somewhere else. We're all immigrants. You're from the Czech Republic. My family's from Europe as well. Um, I think we're very accepting in Alberta of people from other places. And I think that adds to the mix when it comes to synergies for new ideas. Right. I'm not, and you're probably aware of this, and someone told me this recently, and ignorantly living in Edmonton, I should have known this, but that um, Edmonton, I believe in San Francisco, are actually kind of, um, I can't remember the, the, the name of it, but they basically have a, relation, a, a, a reciprocal relationship in the tech sector. So that's, that's why part of the reason you're seeing such a boom of the tech sector and actually in Edmonton. No, that wouldn't surprise me. I just hope that the real estate prices in Edmonton aren't commensurate with those in San Francisco. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, I mean, we were, this is kind of off topic, but, um, you know, when you look at real estate prices now and as someone that's looking to get into the market, I keep thinking, is it going to go down? But when you look at Edmonton or sorry, Canada as a whole, the, uh, the, the prices in Edmonton are so much cheaper than everywhere else that I just, I, I, I just don't see it. Well, and I think one of the things that the pandemic has done, we don't want to go through this again, but 
there have been some paradigm shifts, and you know this because you're the generation um, who would appreciate it even more than I am, of, of looking at work differently. And so working for a tech startup and not having to live in Silicon Valley, living in Edmonton where your quality of life is arguably better, real estate's cheaper, you've got, again, we'll go back to what we talked about, the satellite communities of Sherwood Park, St. Albert, if you've got a young family, um, that could just lead to a more prosperous economy and a more balanced, mm-hmm. life. I, I, a more balanced life. Absolutely, yeah. How do you? How is it uh, at Fask? And what's the? What's the? What is there a hybrid model? Are you guys in the office? Or are you kind of a mixed bag? Or what's that like? We've got a hybrid model, and it's actually department by department. Our banking group is a little more work from home than in the office. We tend to do some of our business development activities, you know, as a pack. But I was an early adopter working remotely, as you know, because we've we've had. Um, family in the United States. And even before the pandemic, we were working remotely. So this has not been a real challenge for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. Do you notice a difference in the office between um, age categories, whether so the are the younger people more in the office? Is it older? Or is, uh, is there is there no correlation? I'm not sure you could draw the bright blue line. One of the things that we do notice is it's more important to younger people. We've had a couple of people leave our group and because they wanted to work fully remotely. I mean, you not just leave our group, leave the firm, but work for some of our peers who are a little more open about full-time working from home. And these are, these are this is a young guy with a young family and his wife's uh, going to the U of A medical school and he wanted to be able to work from home full-time. And we didn't, for some reason, our, our management didn't want to accommodate it. And he made the decision with his feet. And this isn't, this isn't compensation-based. This is based on work profile. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask you about it because I think it it's uh, it's an interesting um, you know it's it's a it's a topic that's talked about a lot and I, I think it's there's such sometimes there's such polarizing uh, whether it's you know on LinkedIn or the social media there's 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 it seems like there's polarizing message out there in terms of resiliency and it's it's some of it's more work life balance based and then some of it is. I kind of I kind of equate it to you know some of the I call it the old school mentality some of the the you know the way it was back in you know the the, the coworkers that you and I have that are in the fifth that are fifty and sixty years old they they seem to they seem to exemplify resiliency come all, kind of almost in a different way. Yeah, and I think that's interesting you say that because you asked about work from home and I've always been a big advocate of letting people do whatever they want as long as they're productive. When I started in this business, there would be the old partner that would walk the floor plate at 6.15 at night to see if Jacob was still in his office working. And that mentality needs to go because our our business, like yours, your productivity is so measurable that I don't care where you are and I don't care when you do it as long as it's done on time and the client's happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's one yeah, thing. That's... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think I, I agree with you there. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's something we really is, especially at ATB we've seen is, uh, I was, I was actually surprised by the fact that so few people have come back. I thought after two years, it'd be just a, an influx of people. And, you know, the day we could go back, there was 5% on the floor, 10%. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I've just, everyone kind of adapted and, the organization seen that you know we're productive or more productive from home so largely they're okay with it but like you said depending on departments some departments they they want you in a little bit more <clears throat> but overall i mean i'm i'm quite maybe ignorantly i'll say this admittedly surprised at how few people are actually um, in the office well let me take you back to the word resiliency you kind of used a better word and that's adaptability one of the things i've learned over this last two and a half years is how adaptable we as humans are. And I don't think it's necessarily tied to age. I think it's tied to open-mindedness and to have to adapt to live like we have lived the last two and a half years shows that we are resilient and that maybe resiliency is a function of adaptability. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think I think that's a great example because I mean, and maybe what you just said and, and kind of ties into what I was try, poorly trying to explain is that maybe that's why the transition. And I'm not saying it was easy for everyone. I'm sure there was a lot of struggles, and there continue to be a lot of struggles, especially uh, mental health related. Um, but I think there seemed to be a fairly wide acceptance of the model. And I think to your point, maybe that just speaks to just how adaptable we were, but maybe, I'm not going to say didn't know it, but maybe didn't have the, the opportunity to, um, to utilize it, express it, whatever you want to say. And then when this, when COVID happened, I mean, it was, it was that our kind of, I don't know if it's innate ability, if that's a fair term to say, but it kind of allowed us to maybe, you know, deal with that a little better. Well, here's the way I look at it. I don't know if that's it. even fair to say. <clears throat> Prior to March 15th, 2020, when you said Jacob's going to work, well, that meant Jacob went downstairs, got on his bike, and rode to the office. That's what going to work meant. Well, since March 15, 2020, that whole paradigm has changed. You know, you're sitting in your apartment, I'm sitting in my home office, I've got my three monitors up, you've got yours. And the thing that, that I kind of find interesting about it is everyone's personal circumstances are subjective. You live by yourself. There are people that have got young kids at home. There's people who've got aged parents that they're looking after. And so the layering of that dynamic over the work from home platform has, I think, or at least hopefully made us more sensitive and empathetic and compassionate to what other people's lives are going on. Whereas if you're in the office and you're in there in a tie and a suit and I walk down the hall, I don't have the visibility into what's going on in your life. I just assume you're in the office, you're cranked up, let's get it done. Very true. Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, you're right, because I think I think back to pre pre twenty twenty or pre March twenty twenty, someone's in the office and it's two thirty and they're hey, I'm leaving. I got a, an appointment. You're thinking and, and admittedly I did the same thing. Or sorry, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I I did this occasionally. I thought like it's we're working we've got we've got stuff to do you know and and and, and I'm, I'm now looking back embarrassed and and that was horrifically unfair but now you're right you're in a you're in a zoom meeting and there's someone's someone's kid or someone's for me it's my dog comes up and says hi and it's it's made that just so much more we've we've become such i think in some respects better to each other because we like you said we've got that we've got that view into each other's lives whether you want it or not but We've got that, and we're we're better. I think I think we're better for it in some respects. Well, I hope so, but I do agree with you what you said earlier in terms of the ripple effects of what some of the mental health impacts are going to be on, particularly children, particularly teenagers, and even maybe the older generation. I'm not exempting us or your generation or mine, but I do think it's also made or broken down to a certain extent some of the stigma associated with mental health. I've always been a big fan of talking about mental health. Um, you're going to laugh at me. My mental health exposure comes from, remember a guy on TSN named Michael Landsberg? He had an afternoon talk show. And Landsberg uh, self-admittedly suffers from depression. And he brought on, it was when Bell started their Let's Talk series. And I think the first athlete he brought on was Clara Hughes. And she talked about her own mental health journey. And it just shows you how narrow I am because I, I get my value from athletes and sports people. So as soon as Clara Hughes was able to talk about her own mental health journey, as soon as Landsberg was, it was very freeing for me to talk about it. And I think the whole COVID thing has helped us in that regard to say, you know, mental health is everybody's issue. It's not just for people who are in in the hospital. Absolutely. I love that you said that because it's 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 something I've thought about too and it's, you know, before you I always took pride in, you know, being this stoic and whatever and no emotion and we never I mean not that my parents had anything against it, but we never grew up with that. You come from the old country and it's uh, you know, they dealt things with with things a different way. Um and even now even coming out of COVID the first little while of I'm usually pretty social and I thought, man, like I, I don't, something wrong with me. I don't really want to be around people. Like I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a social introvert. So I like my social and then I like to retreat, go into my, 
you know, a little cave and be by myself. But I really noticed after, after COVID, I thought, and so it's, you know, people, people ask you, how are you doing? And before it was always, yep, good. It was kind of that small talk. And now it's a little more like, how are you? Really like, doing like I'm fine. Really yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm fine. But listen, I'm, you coming to this thing this weekend? No, I'm going to the mountains. I, I'm really feeling, I'm feeling burnt out. I'm, I'm running. I, I always call it running out of gas. Like I'm yeah. running out of gas and then, and you know, and it, and it seems like, like you said, it's, 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 it's a little more okay to talk about it. And people are like, oh, okay, no problem. And they, whereas before I, I look back and this is not to get too deep, but we had a friend that's no longer part of our friend group. He just decided to do his own thing. Um, and it was kind of like, we always thought, well, what, you know, why doesn't he want to, you, you text him, hey, do you want to hang out? Nah, sorry, I'm cleaning my apartment. I'm like, dude, you live in a 300 square foot apartment. Can't clean yeah, it every day. And, 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 <clears throat> yeah, and so just, it's anyway, so it's interesting you bring that up because we always thought, we always tried to, we, we tried to help him. It was from a loving place, but hey, like, is everything okay? And, you know, maybe he had some struggles, but we always kind of looked at it. And I don't mean, not even unfairly, we just thought, well, we kind of didn't get it, I think. And now, now that you go through, you know, similar things yourself and you think, well, geez, maybe he was going through something. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that that's, that that's out there. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it, you know, a lot of people struggle and the struggles get worse because they feel like they can't talk about it. So do you get some of your gas filled up again by taking Tilly for a good healthy walk? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spend about 90% of my free time with, with Tilly and it's, uh, you know, it's like my little kid and she has her own struggles and we, we kind of deal with it together. But between that and going for a bike ride like that, I, I, I genuinely, when I, if I haven't worked out or exercised for a week, I really notice I'm sluggish. I'm mentally, I feel a little, a little antsy. And so it's interesting what just getting out, doing some exercise, going for a walk, going for a run, going for a bike ride or something physical. I, I really find that that helps that mental side. Well, I find the dog makes me accountable when I'm working from home. <clears throat> because for the last two and a half years, I've been home 75% of the time, and they're such regimented animals, as you know. She gets up in the morning, she does her deal. I can, without having a clock on, I can tell you when it's 10:15 in the morning, because she's up here in my office, nosing around, like it's time to go for a walk, we got to go. And that accountability, I think, has helped me just in terms of having the mental health break to go take her for that 45 minutes at that time. And I treat it like it's an appointment in my calendar and off we go. Mm -hmm. Off we go. Yeah. And I, that's, I, I think it also helps with the, with the, like you mentioned earlier, like it, you almost, it's almost like you have the, not that you need the permission to do that, but like having that accountability, having that, you know, you're accountable to the dog. It's almost like, it's it's okay. You, you, it may, at least personally, I find it's it's okay to do that. You know what I mean? Where it's, we have it's a not responsibility like as a as a pet owner. You have a responsibility to them. And I think one of the things that and I think your world's like this too is our days are so compartmentalized. You know, sometimes in a ten minute increment, that setting it up as a calendar appointment without having to do it, knowing that it's ten fifteen and she's here in, in my office, it I just work around it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the, speaking of back to resiliency for the 20th time, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think, yeah, I think pets actually teach us a lot about resiliency. I mean, you look at, I mean, my dog's a rescue and she's got her own challenges, but if you start to pay attention to these cues, it's just, you know, I've taken her to daycare the last couple of times and she literally, she would get out of the car. I say, come on, let's go. And she lays down in the car and is vibrating. And I'm like, okay, something happened. No problem. Give her a treat. Okay, we're going home. I close the door. She's all excited, run around the car, and we drive home. And I think, hey, like, I mean, you know, she's obviously gone through something and is dealing with it and is doing her best to communicate that with me, who then goes, Kate, hold the phone here. Something's going on. Let's go home. Yep. We go home, we go for a walk, and she's fine. So I think it's an interesting, um, interesting comparison to to at least personally, I've learned I've learned so much from her. You know, she's just kind of She's basically, she's a dog that has, you know, the mind of a, I don't know, a toddler, they say, depending on what type of dog you have. But it's, it's interesting how, how smart and resilient they are and how, if you're, if you're self-aware and if you pay attention enough that how much you can actually learn from them. Oh, and I think the, to your point about cues, I do the same thing with Mishka. I, I pick up on what she is cueing, but it's also the same. When she signals me, 
I, I have a pretty, and I'm not that I'm a dog whisperer or anything like that, but I have a pretty good idea what she wants just by the way she looks at you. And maybe that's because I'm spending too much time with her. Yeah, well, hey, listen, it could be worse. You could be doing worse things. So I know, I know for both of us, pets are super important. But um, I want to, I wanted to talk about your, your kind of our observations about what we're, we're talking about work. But when you transition that to your clients, do you, do you find any, any shift in uh, your clients willing to meet in person? Are they, are you still now that things are kind of open, people, you know, largely appear to be somewhat comfortable? Do you find uh, those Zoom meetings continuing? Because I talked to some people and they their business continues to be zoom meetings and they have the occasional in person or are you like, what are you noticing? <clears throat> the thing about technology even before COVID was we weren't meeting it up as much in person. It wasn't zoom and it wasn't WebEx and it wasn't these platforms. It was telephones. And I've actually, and not to be the old white guy who's reverting, I've stopped trying to stop zooming and gone to telephone if we need to. But to answer your question, to be in person, no, we don't have that many personal meetings in a work setting. It's more, I'm gonna have lunch with you. I'm gonna go for a beer with a guy out of patio. <clears throat> Those are the parts of, you talked about being a bit of a social introvert. Those are the parts that I have missed the most for the last two and a half years, is sitting down and having a lunch with you, catching up on what's going on in your world, sharing that time together. I'm glad we're back able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, I guess in your world, it's usually the, you know, the bank or whoever will email you an instruction letter and it'll kind of go back and forth over email. And then at some point you'll meet for a lunch or a dinner, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. But so <clears throat> it's not like we're getting together, you know, on a drafting session with 10 people in a room anymore. That doesn't happen. That hasn't happened for years. So you're uh, you're obviously a very humble person. I, I say obviously because I know you know you well. But uh, you're a very humble person. This is going to sound like a strange question, but you've you've operated you know in the same profession, same industry for forty years and done very well at it. You're very highly regarded. You're an ambassador. You're you know you're a resource for a ton of people. Like what do you, what do you do? You, can you pinpoint you know one, two, three, four things that that is that's actually contributed to to that success, especially over that long of a period. And I know that's, yeah, a, that's kind of an odd question. <laughs> no, no, it's a good question. I appreciate the the thought. Someone helped me. Well, a lot of people helped me a long time ago along the way, and I'm sure there's people in your life who have done the same for you in your trajectory, whether it was in school, in sports, or at work when you started. And I'm always mindful of the fact that those people that took the time to help me, I need to reciprocate. And whether it's internally with our own team, whether it's externally with clients, um, being a connector of people finding out what I can do to help make your life better. And I don't mean in a billable hours basis. I mean, if there's something I can do because I know that you're from the Czech Republic, and I'll use that example. And if there's something of interest to you that's of a, uh, based on something from your culture, what can I do to help you? What can I do to connect you to somebody in that regard? And so keeping in mind those kind of relational things as opposed to transactional things have been uh, really what keep me going. Mm -hmm. Do you do you have a specific example? I know you mentioned people helped you out earlier in your career and in my, in my very first episode of the Prairie Tycoon we interviewed I interviewed a gentleman named Brody Thompson also a very good connector of people also very similar to you in a lot of ways like what what was there was there an instance was there something that happened when you were young somebody you met a mentor that that do you like do you, something you recall specifically that that kind of clicked in your head and you? Uh, yeah, when I was an articling when I was an articling student, it was an older lawyer who took me under his wing. He wasn't my principal, but he was a banking guy, and he went out of his way to teach me the relational aspects of what we do, not the transactional ones. And I was a sponge for that, and I soaked it up. And it, it's been the mainstay of how I present myself. Like, not everybody's going to like everybody. 
And what this gentleman's name is Bill Snowden. What Bill taught me was always be yourself. Don't try to be what you think the person wants you to be. They're either going to like you or they're not. But there's going to be a lot more people that like you for just being you than those who like you for who you're not. <clears throat> so another way to say that that he used to say that is be the same person as a lawyer as you are at home with your family. Don't be one of these people that say, oh, well, he's a great family guy, but he's a real jerk in the office. Be consistent. That's that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I know when I talked to when I talked to Brody and uh, Grant as well, it's funny to hear and yourself now to hear kind of the similarities in some of these, you know, all three very successful, but to see, hear some of the similarities in, in their early, early beginnings and kind of how that's transitioned to who they are today. So, and I mean, it's an, what you, what you said now is also, also very powerful, I think, because if I think back, if I apply that to my own life, I think early on, I, I don't think I was ever a different person, but you know, sometimes I, Middle sometimes try a little harder you're around certain people. You're like, hey, you want to fit in. Like, I, I just want to be accepted. Like, as as we all do. I mean, that's our as human beings, we just want to be accepted. But uh, but it's it's interesting growing up and you know getting a little more slightly more mature. You grow up and and it's it's a hell of a lot more fun just being yourself. Like just being yourself. Well, and thing, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say the other thing that Bill taught me, and I actually taught my kids this, and I I tell it to all where I yeah. Uh, associates and team is and it goes to what you're saying about wanting to fit in so sometimes when you're wanting to fit in you may embellish or you may tell a bit of a white lie and what what bill told me was you know always tell the truth because then you don't have to remember who you lied to and the, there's all there's uh, not that i'm a biblical scholar but there's i think it's mark the book of mark says the truth will set you free. And we use that phraseology around this house regularly when we're faced with a crossroads of a decision. The truth, it'll always set you free. Right. So over your career, you've dealt with, I can't imagine how many different entrepreneurs. Uh, when you look back, is there, look at the successful ones, you know, um, they don't all have to be billionaires, but like, you know, the successful ones, when you think about them, are there any traits or skills or mindsets that you, you think were consistent amongst the lot? Yeah, that's a good question too. And it takes, I'll take it back to Alberta in that regard too. One of the things that I've seen on a consistent pattern in people that fall into the category that you just described is philanthropy. Everything they do, even though they're working hard, there is always a philanthropic component to it. When you look at who the biggest contributors are to, and it can be the arts, which as you know, have suffered in the last two and a half, three years, whether it's the food bank, whether it's Meals on Wheels, pick the, pick the charity of your choice. But I think successful entrepreneurs are, have got a philanthropic heart. And it encourages me to see some of the gig entrepreneurs that you will know better than I, who are in particularly in the retail sector, who are directing portions of their sale proceeds to clean water, clean air, climate change. And it, and it just, it's very encouraging to see the next generation of entrepreneurs following that lead. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's, that's interesting. Cause it's, again, it's, I just, I keep laughing every time I, every time I talk to you, cause it's, I, and every time I talk to successful entrepreneurs, it's, there's, there's a similar, there's a similar message. And this is, this, this a perfect example is they, it seems like they all have, um, you know, they all this desire, you know, they're, they're super successful, but they always, a lot of that desire to be successful and maybe I'll put words in their mouth is, is so that they can help more people. You know, because any granted, I can I can help a couple of people. I don't have a ton of money, but I can de I can devote my time. I can I can help in other ways. But as these entrepreneurs grow in in financial wealth, you know, they don't they don't all do this, but a lot of them, I think, to your point, well, uh, you know, the more wealth you have, in some cases, the more the more people you can have, the more people you can employ, the more families you can help, and I think that kind of kind of has that ripple effect in the world. And I think you said something that's very telling and true in that 
we have time. We have, let's start with, we have resources. Those resources are time or money. And if you're Warren Buffett and you're working your tail off at 85, well, Buffett doesn't have a lot of time, but he's got a lot of dough, and he's astute enough that, okay, he may not have time to go volunteer at the food bank, but he'll give five million bucks to a library. And it doesn't matter about the five million. I'm just that's just a number. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Um, continue on with the entrepreneurial traits. Have you, um, aside from philanthropy, any other any other traits or skills that you noticed? Were they, you know, were they? I mean, I, I guess you, you, uh, there's a, there's obvious things like they're obviously to some degree financially astute. They surrounded themselves with the right people. But is there anything, any other observations that you that you think were consistent amongst the group? Yeah, it's more of a sociological observation, and it's based on something that someone taught me a long time ago. Is and it's going to sound trite. You meet the same people on the way up that you meet on the way down, and to be able to treat them the same on both sides of the mountain is very telling of your character. And I think successful entrepreneurs recognize that. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a very, uh, I guess I'll call it profound statement, but uh, <clears throat> but I like that observation. And, I, and the reason I brought up what I did is because it was kind of, you know, a little, it seems to some degree obvious, right? Obviously you've got to have certain resources, certain people around you. Um, but uh, I like that because that's not something you hear very often, but it's, uh, you know, someone that treats people the same way. And I think it kind of, it, it ties back into your earlier point in that uh, they were, you know, they were, you mentioned being the same in the office and the, to the same that you are with your family. That's, that kind of ties into basically the, a very similar point, if not the same point. Well, I, I carry around a laminated card that's got a few things on it that I, you know, I won't say are my operating principles, but one of them is uh, when given the choice, and the key is when. When given the choice between being right and being kind, choosing kind. And I didn't learn that till later in life. I wish I had, but it has become an operating paradigm for me. Because, you know, we all know lots of smart people, but you don't have to tell everybody how smart you are. There's a right way and a wrong way to, to portray a position when you need to take one. But to belittle and demean somebody when you don't need to is, is not the right way to conduct yourself. Yeah, that's where, like, where did, sorry, I was going to, I was going to say that was some, yeah. Where did that come from? How did you, like, did you learn that? Did you see that? Did you, did, did your parents teach you that? Where did that come from? Yep. Uh, and actually, as a senior lawyer in another law firm that uh, was now a judge that gave it to me. And then one of there's another one on this card that you may like, and this comes from one of your colleagues, actually. It's an acronym, WAIT, W-A-I-T, Y M I talking. It's about being obviously a, a, a good listener, an interactive listener. And one of the things that happens in our profession is people have got the gift of gab and they want to tell you how smart they are. And I, I like to listen hmm. for that reason. Yeah, I mean, you hear, you, hear, you hear the saying, you know, we were given one mouth and two ears for a reason. Yeah. But, uh, but that's not, but that's, uh, again, that's, that's, that's super, super interesting because, again, it's, you think of, when you, when you say that to me, I think, you know, it sounds, I wouldn't even say obvious because it's not, and it's not, I don't think it's very common at all, but it's very, I think it's very profound and it's, I don't, I don't, what I don't think is, I don't think it's easy, an easy thing to, um, for a lot of people to understand or grasp, you know, they, they, they don't, and they're not, there's anything wrong with talking, but when you, when, what you just said, you think about it and you're like, right, like it's, let's, you know, oftentimes we're so, we're so obsessed with telling our story or telling our whatever you know, and instead, sometimes we just need to shut up and <laughs> listen to the other person. <laughs> when you get you get more in, like I get I get fulfillment out of insight into people, and not because I'm getting inside information. I just like to know how how people what makes people work, what motivates them, what 
what lights their fire, what don't they like. Um, they're all just, those are the things that keep it all fresh after all these years. Well, I think that's, that's honestly, in, from my perspective, what you just described, your passion for people and for learning is, I think, not to toot your horn, um, but, I, but I'm going to because you deserve it, is, is what makes you such a great connector of people, right? Like your, your desire for, for nothing else other than to learn about people, to connect people is, is really what, when I, when I talk to you and we, you know, we talk about you're in Calgary and I mentioned somebody in Northern Alberta and you go, oh yeah, I know, I know Susan, I know Bob. And I'm like, how do you know all these people? But you're, you're just, you're just so naturally kind hearted and passionate to learn about people, which naturally kind of makes you a great, a great connector. Well, I appreciate that. And that's, uh, I'm blushing a bit. You can't tell because uh, the light's not that good, but it, it, it is very motivating to do that though, Jacob, like it's, it, it does bring me fulfillment to connect two people that I have no nexus to other than being the spoken between them. And they have a shared interest. That's maybe not my interest, but I know that you like this and I know that Tim likes that as well. And to put you two guys together so that you can share those experiences, that's, that's very fulfilling. I can imagine. I mean, it's also very incredible to hear because it's not, if I'm honest, I mean, there's, it's not something I, when you, when you put it that way, I don't think about that. I don't, I don't, my brain just doesn't work like that. And it's, 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 it's really cool for me to hear and for our listeners to hear these, these call it tidbits because it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more common than I think, but it's, it's really cool because I think it's just, it's, it's, again, it's something common amongst successful people that I've, that I've met and interviewed and, they're just, they have this ability and not only this ability, I should say this, I think it starts with desire and passion to, uh, to connect others. And then it, it just basically grows from there. So it's, it's cool to hear that from you as well. Um, Thank you. so for the, Thank you. you're very welcome. When, um, when you look at the average entrepreneur, I mean, you deal with them on a daily basis and this is a bit of a tough question, but I'm just, I'm trying to find some, something, some little nuggets we can give to people out there just kind of operating their whether it's a one truck operation or a 50 truck operation, let's use trucking as an example. When you look at the average entrepreneur from a legal or even a banking perspective, because you, 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 you deal in that, are there any common, I'll say mistakes or missing pieces, but I don't mean that in like a punitive, you're doing this wrong, but is there, is there anything you see that's common that, that, you know, obviously stuff that can be repaired or, or improved, but is there anything, anything in that realm that you, that you notice? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. One of the things I think that's very important in that regard is to make sure that when you're giving instructions to somebody to implement a task, make sure they know why they're doing it. Don't just give them a job and say, go do this. I love when our junior associates come to me and say, okay, well, you've told me to do this, but why am I doing it? What's the big picture? That's the first facet of it. The second facet of it is, don't ever give somebody a job that you wouldn't do yourself. And show that, display that. If you want, if you want to modify behavior or model behavior more appropriately, the way to model it isn't by sitting in your office and barking orders. The way to model it is to get out and get your hands as dirty as the person you're asking to get them dirty with. Do you, do you, to, to your first point, when you give somebody a task, explain to them why, do you find, again, I, I find the generational thing interesting. I'm not trying to pick on certain generations, but do you find that the younger generations, you know, the, the 20 to call it 30 or 35 year olds, or is it, does it, is it more, more common in that in, in, in younger generations? They really, they really, they want meaning. They want to want to understand why, or yeah, do you think, I think it's just kind do. of, is yeah. it, or is that, I think, I think they do want to be integrated into the workplace and it's not just a paycheck. They want to know why they're doing it. They want to know if there is a altruistic objective in doing it. And I admire that. Um, you know, we'll have people that will say, I'll give you a silly example, but um, we would go to Cody Snyder's bull busting event and we're going to take a bunch of people from ATB, but there will be people in our group who object to the idea that that may be harmful to animals. Well, I respect that. I'm not going to force them to go. I can tell them why we're going to go, because we're going to go and we're going to take some clients, we're going to have some fun. 
But if it isn't philosophically aligned with their values, I'm not going to force them to do it. And that's kind of a not necessarily the best example, but it's the only way I can come up with on the run. It's, no, that's it's value right. Aligned, um, value alignment. Value alignment. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and I think today today is workforce is certainly more um, organizations are certainly, or, or sorry to say, people are certainly wanting to work for organizations where their values align, right? Yeah. Um, that's certainly yeah. something we see very prevalent. And and the reason I asked about the generational thing was not to pick on a generation, but also just when I think earlier on in my career when I was obviously not not as smart and more wasn't as mature. I remember I remember seeing, and that's not to pick on myself, but I remember being told certain things, and it was just kind of like go do this. And I was like, okay. And then eventually I went, well, why am I doing eventually, to your point, why I thought, I yeah, exactly. I went, well, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? And I, I, and unfortunately in one instance, I grew not to like the role because I just didn't like the, didn't like the, call it the, the management style. And, and looking back, I, I certainly appreciate the lessons now. I mean, it's, um, and I, and I see the value in them, but it was just, just the way my, the way my brain works is I wanted to know why. So I'm, well, let me let me take you back to what you said about the younger generation in that regard too. So, young person, I give a task to, I tell them why. I always now add at the end of those instructions. If you get a better way of doing it, tell me, because we've been doing it this way for X number of years. It's effective, but it may not be the most efficient. So, if you've got a better way to do it, don't feel constrained by my historical. Um, track record. Let's let's give your let's give your way a try. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. That's something I've learned very recently, um, admittedly. <laughs> and it's it's. I think it speaks. It's it's maybe this is unfair. It speaks to humility, and I don't know if I've got the right explanation there. But but the reason I think that is is oftentimes you know we're so like you said, do this and do it like this, and blah 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 blah. And if you can find some humility and understand that, I mean, maybe it's not humility. It's, well, I think it's partly humility, but also partly kind of a, a growth mindset is to go, okay, like to your point, we've been doing this this way 100 year, for 100 years. And when I, t- when I speak to Zach, my associate, and I say, listen, listen, dude, do this. This is what I need you to do. But I need you to very clearly understand that if you see something that is not, that it goes against what I'm saying, I'm trying to basically try to teach him to spot things that don't make sense. And if he if they don't make sense, even if they make sense to me, they don't make sense to him. I want him to ask the question. Yeah, you're you're empowering you're empowering him to challenge you. Exactly, because I think I think if we don't, um, you know, to your point, um, we just we don't get better. And I think that's one of the ways you know it's philosophical. But as a society and as a world, we get better by 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 being being humble, but also by by understanding that just because something's been done a certain way for a million years doesn't make it right, and things evolve and things change. So that's a cool that's a cool example you brought up. Um, but the second point, um, you know, I think speaks to something culture based that I'm really interested in is that you know you, especially when you when you when you you've, you've heard the term leader and manager, right? And there's there's obviously a difference there. But for the for the leaders out there and leaders like yourselves. It's part. I think part of the reason you had such a success, if I can put words in your mouth for a minute, is because you demonstrate by, sorry, you lead by by showing, by demonstrating. You don't. You don't just. You're not the guy that says, "Hey, hey, do this," and then they go, "Okay." But you know, if you show them, you get your hands dirty. They see that you're willing to do everything they are. Then they're more willing to to follow you, and that obviously makes you and the team more successful. Well, you've heard me say this before, but I'll repeat it. Um, Loyalty is not a one-way street. It's reciprocal. And the only way you can build loyalty, whether it's personal relationships, work relationships, any relationship, is to be reciprocal. And that means reciprocal and available on all kinds of levels. That's right, yeah. Even whether it's... uh, And one thing that's, again, I'm starting to learn all these lessons... As, and it's I'm sure you've learned them a long time ago, but is is that is that is exactly that reciprocal um, you know when it comes to feedback, for example, you know as uh, as 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 leaders, we always it's easy your role is to give historically it was to give feedback, but it was never the feedback never really it, it was never in the past okay, I think 
some organizations it probably was, but it wasn't okay for the feedback to kind of flow back uphill. Right. Well, right. shit, like now I want it. I want to get better. So, you know, they call, I don't know what they call it, a 360 feedback or whatever they call it, but it's feedback from, from all, from all facets, not just the people that work, call it for you. And I, I call them my partners, but people that work with you, like, I think that's, I think that's really important and, and empowering for, for not just for them, but also for you. Oh, I 100% agree with what you're saying. And I think one of the things that I work at in that regard, not to pat myself on the back, is is to remain relevant to those 25 to 40-year-olds. And it doesn't mean I have to dress and act like them, but being able to be relatable and being able to be open to the things that are going on in their world and not be cloistered off in my, you know, uh, particular time and space. How do you, how do you, like, how do you navigate that? How do you, is it like self-awareness or what do you, how do you navigate keeping relatability in like, in the most genuine way, in your, in your way, as you always do? And I find now that you mentioned that, I, I, I would agree you're, you're very good at that, but how do you, how do you, I don't know, how do you think about that? How do you navigate I think that? it's really, you, we touched on it earlier. I think it's just purely intellectual curiosity. And I mean a broad spectrum of intellectual curiosity, right? Like when I, and I'm pick on you because you're here, when I found out your, about your background in the Czech Republic, it's, that's fascinating to me. And so I'm going to read about it. I'm going to delve into it. I'm going to find something of interest in Czech culture, Czech cuisine, Czech beer, which is always good. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. and again, that's just a, a, a microcosm of the intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on something super, and I really appreciate that about you, obviously. Um, you touched on something really cool is that by, is it's funny because by investing yourself in others, you're, you're, you're making yourself actually better. You're making yourself smarter. You're making yourself more, you know, does that make sense? And I'm kind of 100%. wording it poorly, but no, you're, you're doing so something for somebody else, but in turn, it's also, it's also, it's mutually beneficial and not, not that you do it for the benefit, but it's, it's, I think it's cool to think about it that way. No, I agree with you hundred percent. Seeing the smile on somebody's face and it sounds trite, but it isn't when you've done something for them that is not necessarily expected or required, but you go out of your way to help them. Especially a younger person, um, you know, and I take it back to what we were talking about earlier. Somebody did it for me a long time ago, and I was blessed with enough people in my life that did it that it made a difference. And so now I, I want to make as much of a positive difference as I can in helping anybody any way I can. And, and being relevant makes me available to them. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. And you're the you're the third person I've heard I've heard say that that um, especially talk about when they when you were younger that someone did it for you and you kind of feel like you pass you know you like you're passing it passing it forward. I guess that's not the well, way you owe it. But, I mean, um, yeah, and passing it, yeah, passing forward. Yeah, but I, I owe it to those people who did it for me. People who did it for me, and I can't that's do right. it for them now, but I can do it for somebody else. I can do it for somebody else. You can do it for others, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's something I've um, funny. I listen to uh, try to listen to podcasts, and that's something they always talk about too. And they, you know, they they basically don't. It's not they're not at some point you're you know you've done well enough. You do, you you do it for others. It's not it's not about you anymore. And I think when I think about what you just said, um, you know, like your whether it's yourself or Grant or Brody or all the other people in in my life that have helped me along the way and. I think like you think two things. One, they didn't have to like this. You didn't have to do this. I'm not entitled to your time, but you still found the time in your busy schedule to give me your time and help me out and hopefully help some listeners out. So I think that's I think that's really powerful uh, powerful to think about. But it also is reflected in, and I'm not. I was going to say something I probably shouldn't. Say. It's reflected in the time and effort that you put into it too, because. Obviously, you've done your background on me. None of this stuff, you had to go You had to go look it up and to do some thinking about it. The fact that you came as prepared as you come uh, means I have to honor that commitment and be as prepared as you are, or at least try to be. 
Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, you're, we always have such wonderful conversations and I look forward to the next one, but, uh, but thank you for saying so. So when, I, when you look at your team, you know, we're talking, we're talking about characteristics amongst entrepreneurs. When you look at the team that you lead at Faskin, um, when you're looking to hire a new team member on, what do you, what do you look for? And I know you've kind of touched on a few of the characteristics, but I'm curious to yeah, see. Yeah, that's, that's a good question as well. One of the things I've learned in the, well, relatively near term is we don't bring anybody into our team just because I've interviewed them and we love, and I like them. I get them to meet everybody in the team because if they're going to play in the sandbox together, they got to know and like each other. And so when we're looking at a candidate, I may do the initial interview, but I will make sure that the candidate sees at least three or four other team members, and then we get together after that and compare notes. I was going to say, what I always lecture our associates on is, you know, I'm here for a little while longer. This is all going to be yours someday. And when I say yours, I mean you're going to you're going to be your group. So to have the teammates that you want to have is probably more important than somebody that I would choose. Mm -hmm. Very true. That's yeah. So when you, when you think about that, um, so you do the initial interview, let's say, and then they meet the other team members. Is that in an informal setting or is that where they come in for kind of like an official talk or do you take them out for a coffee or how do you, how do you gauge kind of a, a, you know, you want to you want to see them in kind of their natural environment where they're at ease. And yeah, we kind tend of not to do the in-office interviews. We'll do the go sit on a patio when it's nice enough and have a coffee and do it that way, a little more informal. Right. Um, and so when you when you think about the people you've hired, and I've met a few of them, and they're they're awesome. I mean, obviously speaks to speaks to you in some respects for sure. I would think. But what are there any anything? You know, obviously, you want them to be a good fit. They uh, have to have meet the qualifications. But are there any other, any other, I guess, call it characteristics, traits, personalities, um, that that something that speaks to you that you think, okay, you know, these are this 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 person's going to make a good lawyer. They're going to fit in well. They're going to look after our clients. They're going to they're going to do what's right. Is there anything that um, kind of stands out? Yeah, parking your ego at the door. Um. One of the things that people in our profession make the mistake of being is thinking that they are more important or better than someone else. And that ego can cloud your decision-making. It can cloud your interactive ability with your teammates. And so, you know, we're all proud people. We're competitive. I get that. I think that's inherent in business. But being eagle maniacal about it is never going to work in our group. It's interesting you bring that up because I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, certainly it could be a, a thing that's prevalent in your profession, but I think, I think it, it comes in, um, you know, in all professions too, to some degree and obviously depends, but I've heard, I actually heard a colleague mention the same thing at another institution. They were looking to hire somebody and they had two candidates and one, exactly like you said, was a great fit with the team because they actually met the team. And the other one, very highly educated, probably would have been bored in the position. And then, but, but again, was, had that, had that ego and, and, and ultimately they went with the other candidates. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear, you know, hear it from you, but also hear a, a real life example that basically says the exact same thing. Well, yeah, we use, and of course this is yeah, probably in breach of all human rights legislation, but we look at, team players, and I don't mean that in the business buzzword sense, team. I mean, when we look at a candidate, we would look at their resume and say, okay, what has this person done where they've had to interact in a team setting? It doesn't have to be sports. It could be uh, the arts. It could be politics. It could be community service. And because I think you'd agree with me, so much of what we do in our world is team-related. And if you can't get along with your teammates, how are you going to get along with external uh, contact? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, if you can't get along with the team, they're not all of a sudden going to be an incredible team player externally. So right. And that's right. interesting because I mean, even in our world, I mean, it's we at the bank, we've got so many different groups that that we all depend on, and we depend on each other in various ways that 
it yeah you you certainly see the people that don't that don't that aren't great team players they stand out like a sore thumb yep and they're in and i think in your world and in ours too those people that stick out like a sore thumb are the last ones that get what they need if somebody has cranked somebody's nose the wrong way you're not going to get somebody in ops to do that job for you because they think you're a goof that's right yeah yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the relationship that that relationship and that team team aspect is something that I've I'm glad you said this because I've I, I thought I was on the right path. But when I when I when I connect with my associate, I try to try to, you know, explain to him that uh, over my career, not necessarily at ATV, but over my career, I've I've I think I've had fairly good relationships. And it's I think it's allowed me to I'm not saying I get what others don't get, but I, I find there's enough little instances where something kind of goes my way and I'm thinking, well, I'm not that lucky. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's, I think a lot of it to your point is relationship based. And, and, and when I compare it to some of my not current colleagues, but you know, former colleagues, some of their, some of the, the challenges they had didn't necessarily, we're, we're, I think we're, we're, we're self partially self-induced, but partially because of their relationships within, within the team. And I don't mean that in a sense, like I was buddy, buddy with him. So he just gave me no, all no, the no. good stuff. No, I mean, like no, no. I was generally, you know, you're, you're kind, you're respectful, you, you approach it in a certain way. And I think to your point, I think, I think that has a lot of value. And I think more than, more than some people would, 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 would tend to tend to give credit to, I think. Well, I'll give you sort of an example in our world, which maybe you don't have as much visibility to. So we rely heavily on our internal accounting people for wire transfers, money in and out, closing a transaction. They are not part of our team per se, but they are an important part of what we do. And if we don't treat those people the same way or with the same level of respect as we do you externally, how can I expect them to help me get a wire transfer out on a timely basis to close a deal for you? So treat them, treat them like you would want to be treated. It sounds trite, but if you treat them the way you would like to be treated, the world's just going to be a lot happier place. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So I want to just close on, I want to be mindful of your time. I want to close on um, just a, I, I, I love reading and I, I love hearing other people's book recommendations. And I'm, uh, I'm a very slow reader and always have been. And it takes, I'm, I read painfully slowly that it takes, it takes, I read a couple pages a day and that's, that's all I can about handle. But do you have any, any books that you've, you recommend they don't have to be necessarily um you know personal self-development based but any books that you found beneficial that you've read yeah i read quite a bit of leadership stuff just because i'm interested in it and it helps me stay relevant but one guy's book that i i've actually been through it three times he's a former congressman his name is trey gowdy t-r-e-y gowdy g-o-w-y and he's a South Carolina, was a congressman from South Carolina. He now has a Sunday evening um, news program on one of the U.S. networks. I won't say which one. And he's got a book that's called Doesn't Hurt to Ask. And this book chronicles his career, but it also asks a bunch of very difficult moral questions and how he resolved those moral questions at the time. And it's really a book on moral compass. Right. So that one's been... Uh, any, uh, that one's been uh, yeah, any key messages that stand out from the book? I mean, obviously, I, I hope people read it, and I'll, I'll, I'd love to read it, but what, uh, what stood out to you? Here's a guy who's a congressman who is a TV personality, but he's grounded, he's a man of faith, he's a family man. There's no um, hidden agenda with him. It's just what you see is what you get. And I guess I kind of like that. That's fair. Thanks for sharing. Um, I want to be mindful. So in closing, um, if clients or institutions are looking to connect with you and your banking and finance team at Faskin, how do they do that? Um, pick up the phone. We're there. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of methodologies. We appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today and 
Um, this is more of a list than it is about business development for us. So most of our work is repeat work that comes from word of mouth, even though we live in a gig economy where, you know, LinkedIn and websites and all that stuff is there. Um, if somebody wants to find me, they know where I am. Fair enough. Well, appreciate that. And I think that, I think that says all, all we need to know, but, but honestly, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. I know, um, you're a busy man, but, uh, I appreciate the kindness that you've always shown me and just, just to be here with me and, you know, it's a Tuesday evening, but, uh, I appreciate you taking that time and sharing, sharing your expertise and kind of what you learned. And I think, I think our listeners will find a lot of value. So thank you. Well, I appreciate having us on and I appreciate your efforts in doing these things that I've always admired what you've done, um, particularly at LinkedIn. You've had some great stuff on your videos that I've always enjoyed and I've mentioned it to other people that it's that kind of thinking that sets you apart. And I've always admired that characteristic about you. So thanks for that. Well, thank you very much. I really, it means a lot coming from you. So thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to The Prairie Tycoon. If you have any questions or topics that you want to be discussed, or if you have any recommendations for future guests, then please email me at theprairietycoon at gmail.com. That's theprairietycoon at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. I appreciate your time, and we'll chat soon.